0: Welcome to This Complex Life, a podcast where we explore the intricacies of wellbeing and relationships. I'm your host, Marie Bakakis, an accredited mental health social worker, family therapist, speaker, and mental health educator. Coming to you from the lands of the Bunurong and Wurundjeri people, join me as we demystify mental health, break down stigma, and navigate life's messiness and complexities one conversation at a time. And just a little reminder, Information in this podcast is for educational purposes only. Anything said should not be taken as a replacement for medical, clinical or other professional advice, diagnosis or treatment. This podcast is not a substitute for professional mental health treatment and advice. If you or someone you know requires support, please contact a mental health professional in your area. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome back to another episode of This Complex Life. Today I have with me Jodie Green. Welcome, Jody. Hey, Marie. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this episode. Can you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes, I can. I am an ADHD coach, so
1: I came into the world of ADHD through new kids being diagnosed uh, about about eight years or so ago. And at the time, I was scratching around for resources and trying to educate myself, and I really found it hard, found like um, there wasn't much out there. Uh, especially someone who hadn't really been exposed to their whole neurodiverse world before. Yeah, so that just led me on a pathway towards learning about ADHD. I was already doing roles where I was supporting mums and things like that. So kind of
0: just coalesced into, yeah, really great space coaching for ADHD. Yeah, that's what I do. Awesome. Um, We wanted to talk about today, I guess we were kind of, as I was preparing for this episode, is that's one of the things I see a lot in my practice is, adults being diagnosed later on in life and so what are some of the challenges that maybe adults face who they haven't changed they've always been an ADHD but mm. you know how does it how does ADHD affect their their them their lives their their work well-being yeah no. yeah.
1: yeah it's been such a thing recently hasn't it and in my practice as well adults who most of the time have a child diagnosed and then start recognizing the symptoms in themselves and then go on to get a diagnosis as an adult. Just for statistics sake, it's about 2 to 6% of adults internationally is the recognized rate of people with ADHD. So whereas in, in Australia in kids, it's like 6 to 10%. So there's a little bit of a drop off from kids to adults. However, most people now recognize that the symptoms do persist into adulthood. And maybe the maybe the reduction in numbers is more about the fact that adults have greater control of their lives, and so they're choosing Care- careers and structures that work for their ADHD brain. so they're not so stumbled by the symptoms. But you know, there's there's definitely a large number of adults being diagnosed out there at the moment. I think the challenges with ADHD. Hmm, best way that to, to conceptualise ADHD, I think, is through the lens of executive function. So it's the Planning, organizing, time management, all of the kind of like conductor of the orchestra kind of stuff that our brain does for our daily lives. And so the challenges, every person's challenges look really different, but they kind of stem from similar similar deficiencies in executive function. So for example, awareness of time is a classic one that most people in ADHD have a really limited or kind of impaired awareness of time. And that can lead to all sorts of different symptoms turning up in their lives. So either they're constantly running late or they're really anxious because they're hyper aware of how late they might be. So they're (laughs) anxiously early or they're misjudging the amount of time tasks will take and then constantly like chasing their tail or feeling overwhelmed. So
0: that kind of one piece of time awareness can show up in lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. As you were saying that, because, I mean, being a family therapist, I can't help but kind of look at the system mm-hmm. as well, is for the the family or a partner, even friends, that can feel like maybe you, you don't think they're important or their time, it's like, what, well, you know, is their time not valuable? Do you not care about that social event? You know, those sorts of things. Like, how mm-hmm. how does that show up relationally for people? What What other yeah. examples come to mind for you?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a huge one. And that, I mean, that an example that we've been talking about is one that I use often. And I always coach people, whether it's partners of people with ADHD or whether it's um, parents of kids with ADHD, whatever the relationship is with with someone with ADHD. One of my favorite things to teach people about is to separate out the executive function skills from the moral judgments or from the actual Life practical skills or the kind of intention of the person. So, externally, when someone's late all the time, when, you, when you're meeting them, it's easy to put a moral layer on that and say, Oh, they don't care. They don't value my time. They're so lazy, like whatever the moral judgments are. But actually, if you recognize that it's a piece of their brain that is not working properly. And that that it's not there's no intention behind it at all. It's just that they got distracted or it's just that they actually did not realise that it was ten AM and they had to get out the door or you can kind of take away the moral judgment part of it and then you can much more easily A, accept what what's going on for them and and B help find solutions. You know, so if you can meet a friend and you can ring them half an hour before and say, Oh, I'm just leaving now for to catch up, you know, looking forward to seeing you. And you can do that with no like sense of burden or sense of frustration, then that friend probably really appreciates that if they have ADHD and they don't want to be late, they don't want to have that stigma attached to their behavior. So yeah, that's just separating executive functions from from other moral or personal judgments, I think is a huge part. And also just, I mean, partners and, and people in relationships need to understand ADHD and and how it works for the person who's experiencing it, because for someone else that might not be a challenge at all. They might really struggle with remembering, like their working memory might be terrible, or
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know. So there's lots of different ways, and the best the best place is to ask, understand, and ask, and assume best intentions. Yeah,
0: I, th- I really like what you're saying about that. Is to take away the moral judgment because I think that's that's really common in both ADHD and autism, for example, that I see where people will say. Oh, that person's being rude, you know, like they add that extra layer of judgment instead of thinking they're just communicating in a different way. We're yes. interpreting that as rude. Yep. Um, and I think that's where the space
1: of neurodiversity is really opening up people's awareness and people's understanding of different behaviors and not labeling them as that moral failing or whatever the old fashioned way of thinking about it might have been.
0: What are so the overall well being? I might reverse this as a question because I've had a few close colleagues, friends, different people that I interact with be diagnosed later on in life and I've got one friend in particular who just said it's like there was a grief and then this like aha moment of just like it wasn't my fault or there was Mm -hmm. an explanation. What's the impact of not knowing this, not knowing that that's how your brain works on your well-being?
1: Yeah, I think it's huge because like we were just saying, we've probably grown up in worlds where there has been a lot of judgment and even well-meaning, you know, teachers or family members or whoever, as when we were kids trying to encourage us, but they're encouraging us the wrong way. They're encouraging us by like speaking louder, like you might do with, with someone who has a hearing challenge, like, you know, that that sort of misguided attempt at helping.
0: Often people with
1: ADHD know what to do. The problem is in doing it. And so when you um, have lived your life knowing, I know what to do, like I can do it. I, I know that I've got it in you, but I just can't get it done. That just builds up whole layers of shame. And, you know, we, we often like internalize our explanations of, of our behavior with labels, also like a lazy or I'm stupid or a... I'm not good enough. Whereas if you can internalize your explanation as, oh, that's my working memory letting me down again, like that gives you a whole different perspective. So I think people who who are diagnosed later have to like almost review their memories and their life experiences through the lens of ADHD rather than through the lens of whatever previous like judgments they were putting on themselves. That makes sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um. Which is it's the sorts of things people talk to me about is, you know, there is, they start to have some empathy for their younger selves. And then there's a grief. I, I wish someone told me earlier.
1: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And I think there's another layer, which is recognizing your own emotional reactions to things, which have been developed over time without that understanding of ADHD. So you need to, yeah, uh, you know, like you said, have empathy and understanding for your emotional reactions, but then also have the support or the kind of confidence to say, oh, that's a habitual emotional reaction that that I can see now why I've developed it. But I actually want to reframe
0: that. I want to choose a different reaction now that I know more about myself. The most common one that comes up to me as you're saying that is a re- rejection sensitivity or yeah. it perceived. So even being called into a boss's office or a manager's office like if you've had an entire childhood of being told sit still don't do that Why are you late stop talking can't you just can't you just xyz mm. hundreds of those little micro behavior adjustments I find people have this really heightened anxiety of am I going to get in trouble have I done something wrong mm. what's your experience with with that as an example of that emotional response you were just saying
1: yeah I think it's so prevalent and I think it's It's been under-recognized in a lot of the literature and the research, so it is a growing area of understanding. And I'm looking forward to actually the next five to 10 years of developments in that space. Look, as a coach, the best strategy that I can offer people is recognition. So that's self-awareness and recognition, and then self-compassion, like the sort of the layers go through. And kind of reframing, okay, I've had that emotional reaction, I've felt that rejection, which is understandable. I'm going to talk to myself about why maybe it wasn't actual rejection, why it was only perceived, and then use that to inform the way that I want to move forward. So in coaching, we talk a lot about actions and um, choosing your actions based on maybe reframing some beliefs or some thoughts and emotions. So you're thinking through, okay, what do I want to do there? Do I want to go and talk to that person and say, when you say words like this, I'm reacting and I would appreciate you just understanding that that's triggering for me? Or do you want to, I don't know what, what other remedies you might have, but but choosing something proactive is the best the best strategy. If it's deep and it's hard and it's really painful, then therapy or you know someone who has got like a psychologist in their in their team, that could be a really good thing to take and work through at a deeper level, like what is being triggered. Mm. But in a day-to-day sense, yeah, it's like that, just recognition and then where do I want to choose to move from here?
0: Yeah. That's a lot of the work I do. And often it's that's the presenting issue for people is an anxiety or low mood. And when we start to explore triggers or situations in which that's been exacerbated that's when sometimes there are red flags of can you tell me a bit more about that and yeah. <laughs> that's led to have you let's do this screening tool or let's investigate in ADHD because this it sounds like this could be what's happening so sometimes I see it in reverse where people come for poor mental health or mm-hmm. struggling with an area of their life where maybe their their normal like life hacks that they had kind of figured out don't translate to this new either work environment or increase of complexity and it's the anxiety usually or depression that sort of brings them in
1: yeah yep yep and then you're able to kind of work from a top-down like cover the layers approach oh, it,
0: it's it's more like tipping the bowl of alphabet soup out and trying to make words like <laughs> it doesn't feel top-down it's it's really yeah weird. yeah that's cool yeah yeah I really like the
1: analogy, and I, I sort of picture this with some of my clothes, where, you know, if you look at a house and you haven't built the house, you've just moved in. So that's like your brain and that's like the structure and then neurochemical chemical balances and everything that you were born with, like you've moved into this house and you have to live there. But then you do have the power to figure out which rooms of the house you're going to use for which purposes. You can, you know, designate one as a study, you can designate one as a bedroom. But then you've also got the layer of the people, other people that live in the house with you. And that's where that emotional stuff, like over time, if you're not aware, it can build up like you've been saying, and it can turn into that anxiety or depression because you feel like you're not coping well. Whereas once you recognize there's ADHD in the picture, you can start to go, oh, I see. So when you like constantly nag me about putting my clothes away or whatever, (laughs) whatever it is, I can see now that's because. The laundry is so far from my bedroom and I'm going to create a solution with a basket rather than just continue to be nagged about putting my clothes away and and then also talk about some boundaries with people like I just I see it as yeah different layers
0: right mm, I'm thinking and then what to renovate and what like yes. there might be mites hidden somewhere yeah yeah, yeah. So Maybe
1: psychiatrists, psychiatrists can advise you on some walls and some, like, structural modifications. I all good metaphors reach the limit of their usefulness, don't they? So I don't know about the the <laughs> renovation aspect, but, you know, there's certainly, I mean, neuroplasticity would say that there is some space there, right? Um, mm. But yeah, you have to be careful. You don't push the metaphor too far.
0: <laughs> One of the things, and I, I'd be curious to hear what your experience is as a coach is, sometimes people be like, okay, so then what do I do? And that seems so complex to me. It's like someone sort of saying, okay, so I want to get fit. How do I do that? And it's like, well, that's like, do you like running? Do you like yoga? Do you want to lift weights? Like, How can people find strategies and techniques that can support them without minimizing the fact that it's highly individual and not that simple to just have a one size fits all?
1: Mm, Yeah, that's a good question. I think... Like a coach's bread and butter is asking good questions, right? And figuring out what works for each person. And I always say with the client, you're the expert of your life and you know what you love or what you don't love and what's worked for you in the past. And I'm the expert in asking good questions, asking self-reflective kind of questions and uncovering some things late, but ultimately, yeah, you know you. So we kind of... We know that there's some broad things that help like, you know, good sleep and good nutrition, all of those things help an ADHD brain. But then when it comes to actual strategies, it's really about like getting down into the nitty-gritty I So you don't have a laundry basket where you take your clothes off in the evening like, oh, maybe that, maybe that solution could work for you. But that that's where it gets really individual.
0: Yeah. So would people, would it be worth them having a think about like what their goals are or what they struggle with, like what kinds of things would they bring to mm, yeah.
1: bring to coaching? Look, both of those things are good. If you've got a goal, that is a really great photo for a coaching conversation, but equally, a lot of people come with just like a sense of being stuck or a sense of struggling. So we can sort of go from both sides. I think one of the, one of the best things is to be open to exploring. So if you come with a struggle. I'll be saying, well, why is that a struggle? Like, is, is it only a problem because you are internalizing your mother's voice saying that you shouldn't do that, and you, can you actually let that go? Or is it a problem because you are being performance managed at work, and you actually do need to take some steps to change things? Like, yeah, so that's that's part of the part of the coaching puzzle is where
0: why do you want to change? But then also, yeah, the how, how do you shift? Well, that bit you just mentioned about whose voice is one thing I've noticed in folks is there's a worry that if they do things differently, that they won't achieve as much. Yeah. There's like, I don't know how to explain it any better, but it's like if i if I'm not kind of manically doing all of this, like if I slow it down or if I have self-compassion, or if I work to my energy levels, like there's an maybe it's their work ethic, but there's like this fear mm-hmm. of, resting or slowing down to go further yeah. like is there something in that but how do you make sense of that question <laughs>
1: yeah yeah so I've got to like in my membership program we've deliberately designed a Monday planning session where we do exactly that we get people to frame dump we get people to sort of make their actions more clear and prioritize and then we choose literally one or two things to achieve that day and they The purpose behind that is to, because our brains will usually say, are you kidding me? One or two things, there's no way, like you'll, you'll die if you only do one or two things today. But over time, actually choosing one or two things and doing them is more effective over the long, over the long run and spinning out in overwhelm over the 25 things that are on your list and you don't know which one to do first and you can't focus on any of them. So that is one of the tools. So it is that practical learning, like there is an element of practical learning in coaching. But then there's also the, the other side of that sort of why yeah. am I procrastinating? What's the yeah. emotions? Yeah. So yeah, a bit of both. Yeah. Hmm.
0: If we move into the kind of the impact on a relationship, so keeping in mind that adults um being diagnosed later in life, how can they navigate or communicate with their partner? So I know you said earlier, you know, you could ask your friend what they need, but if someone's just figuring this out, that they don't know yet what those solutions are, mm. how can they communicate that? Or if a partner's listening and saying, oh, yeah, my partner's just been diagnosed, what can I do? Mm. Like, how can they start to have conversations around that without it feeling patronizing or minimizing? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. One of my big
1: red flags or warnings of partners is to avoid stepping into that parent child dynamic and it is really tempting when you can see how something should be organized and you can remember the time and you can see the steps. It's tempting to just take that parent role and say, come on, we need to do this now. I'm like, why haven't you done that? <laughs> but I don't think that that's healthy for two adults um living together and working together. So I would suggest it's understanding ADHD and it's that question that I asked before about is this executive function, is this an executive function challenge or is it a Skills or interest or care factor issue, which it could be either, right? Just but then just assume best intentions and ask. Say, so, Oh, I noticed that you, I don't know, came home without the milk. Could, could I have helped with that? Or is that just something that we need to be able to deal with? Like just asking questions about what was underneath the behavior and. And when someone's newly diagnosed, also be like, I don't know. I just, it just happened. And, and doing that shared exploration, I think, is really important. But yeah, asking, just asking what it's like, what's going on for your partner, I think is probably the, the strongest strategy I can suggest.
0: How would someone respond with, so if someone has like a hyperfixation or finds things that are interesting more easy to do, how mm-hmm. can you combat this? like, thing that of like well we all have to do things we just don't like like mm-hmm. how, how do you manage that in sometimes in the reality of a workplace or household tasks like there are some things you have to do if other goals and needs are going to be achieved mm-hmm. like how, how do you kind of reconcile that yeah in my experience with the adults that i've worked with it's not
1: so much and like with your child it's like Come on, we have to do the things we don't like because it's part of. With <laughs> an adult, it's probably more about you know you have to do those things, but how can you do them more easily? So, what are some strategies to make that boring task more interesting, or what are some strategies to make that you know monotonous or or painful? You know, thinking about sending invoices like <laughs> it's like what? How can you make that more fun or more interesting <laughs> or? Outsource it, <laughs> yeah. Outsource it, or just like just <laughs> think about the dollars in your bank. Yeah, okay. but but it is. It's. I think it's less about cajoling someone into doing hard things, and it's more about saying, "How can we make this achievable? How yeah. can we, you know?" And if it's in a if it's in a relationship or in a workplace, body doubling is like I was the just most going to say, yeah, yeah the
0: so, so many of my clients love that body doubling and and that's probably what they they missed the most in lockdown was that accountability of you know just having someone sit there not to like watch over them but designated time allocated to achieve a task with collegiality or chit chat or music or something yeah yeah
1: anything like that I think it's I think of it as like shared executive
0: function. sometimes like if you're all in a space
1: together and it kind of boosts everyone's focus I'm thinking like sharing that executive function of of focus or concentration. Yeah, but you're right. Lockdown did strip away structures that people were relying on. Structures are a great thing when you have ADHD. Like we love and hate them because they get a bit boring or they feel a bit constraining. But actually, our brains do really well when they know what to expect and and have some habits, have some, you know,
0: Mm.
1: and tested ways
0: to get things done. That makes me, that reminds me of, of the ages in which people seem to get diagnosed, and I find that there's a bit of a change in moving from high school to uni, mm-hmm. and then out into the workforce. So some people thrive because they customise a work environment to suit their brain, and others, I feel like they're chasing their tail because time's not slotted in and allocated but mm-hmm. for subjects or free periods or when a, an, something's due, and you know, those sorts of Changes in, I guess, milestones or
1: yeah, yep,
0: the structures of of life
1: and how they shift and move. Yeah, and a lot of women get diagnosed later in life because of moving out of the workforce and into having kids, or like the different ways that structures change. Yeah, and we call them tipping points. So there's like these tipping points where suddenly your capacity and your existing adaptive strategies no longer meet the needs or the depressions of that new situation.
0: It's much nicer than I said, your hacks don't work anymore. (laughs) Same thing. Same thing, essentially, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I remember
1: when I had my third child, I was like, pretty sure that is the limit of my mental capacity
0: right there. (laughs) Yeah. For many people, that's a (laughs) lot. Yeah. What? So if people want to, like, if they're listening and, you know, there's a lot more information accessible at the moment about ADHD and they suspect, you know, they might have... ADHD, what mm. sorts of things have you noticed on your end? Like I've got different kind of referral pathways very sort of diagnostically, but yeah. what, what kinds of things would, would coaching sort of suggest that they maybe try or explore?
1: Yeah, so coaching is unique in that you don't actually need a referral or a diagnosis. So a lot of coaches will work with people who are not diagnosed. And in that sense, you could kind of test out whether the strategies that an ADHD coach is suggesting make sense to you. If you wanted to go down that pathway, I really, I'm a big advocate for getting a diagnosis. If you can, if you can access the audit and if you've got an existing provider, like a psychologist or therapist, they might be able to do some screening and some kind of helping you out there for the But the kind of regular pathway is doing a pain to a psychologist. If you're an adult, which can be really long and hard and I do... I do say to people if your first GP is like, really, I'm not sure, then go to another one. You know, if if you think that you probably struggle with ADHD, then there's a good chance that you do. So persisting in to a few different people if you find yeah. them it's dismissive or doesn't really seem to be across yeah. ADHD. Yeah.
0: Well.
1: You know. But yeah, if you've got if you've got someone already in your world that you're working with most professionals could do some level of, even if it's talking it through with you to, to help you figure out what, what are the pieces that you identify with, prepare you then for going to a GP or someone else. Yeah, I mean,
0: uh, yeah, like, and I think with, you know, I, I find a mixture of people will come to me and saying, I saw this on TikTok and I have it. And it's like, it really want to hold a conversation around what's resonated with you. Then also, you know, we have a decade of of more of often tertiary education of the overlap between symptoms can look like yeah. trauma or can look like other sort of neurological conditions or physical mm-hmm. health conditions. So you know, the symptoms can overlap quite a lot. So I think it's really good to use that as a starting point, but you might overlook some really significant other health issues if
1: yeah yeah if, if that but not and we. Well coaching you need you do need to keep in mind that coaches are not diagnosticians and they're also coaches are going to work with you on what you present to them they're not going to be digging and assessing and looking for broader um challenges uh, because that's not our training our training is to work with you on what you want us on a shift where you feel stuck and what your goals are um but yes so you're exactly right marie that Going to someone who is trained in the breadth of issues that may present in a certain way um, is definitely an important piece of the puzzle.
0: How can someone make sure they're finding a appropriately responsible or accredited like like coach, like that's not a protected term, same with sort of counsellor really, like anybody can call themselves that. What, what sorts of things can they look for so that someone who's maybe very vulnerable doesn't um, work with someone who is out of their scope of, you yeah.
1: yeah. So in Australia, we're really lucky. We've got some very proactive coaches who have set up a directory and to be listed on that directory, you have to have ADHD specific training. So you can't just be a fitness coach who has branched out into ADHD. So ADHD specific coach training and also a member of the ICF, which is the International Coach Federation. So. Whilst there's no regulation for the for the term coach, if someone's a member of the ICF, it shows that they're that they're committed to the code of ethics. The ICF has a dispute like process so people can make complaints. So it it does show a level of um, professionalism. And in the absence of regulations, I think that's pretty good, Mark. Not to say like there are good coaches out there who are not ICF members. So that's not a it's not a showstopper. But it would show, it would be one of the things that you could use to verify someone's sticks uh, and standards. And of course, if you feel uncomfortable, like just, you know, you could get, get a second opinion, get someone else to come yeah. in, ask to record a session and then have someone else listen to it. Like you can do all sorts of things to verify um, if you feel vulnerable, get someone else's opinion. Yeah.
0: yeah, I definitely agree with that. that if there's like an ick factor, then therapist, GP, whoever it is, no. Yeah. And then there's this other bit of be prepared to do some work and it might be uncomfortable. And that's, that's a different type of discomfort.
1: Mm, Yeah. Yep. Yes. If you feel like you're being heard, you feel like you're understood, you feel like you're unsupported and being pushed. That's one space, right? (laughs) But, but if you don't feel that you're, you're understood or you, or you're not, or they kind of say things that are like, I don't really,
0: that doesn't resonate with me. Yeah. Then that's a red flag what if it's your rejection sensitivity kicking in? Like how how would you know? Well, if you've been dismissed, if you've got a history Mm -mm. of that, that might be a real sensitivity, right? Like I would tell the clients, if, if you feel that, if that feeling comes up in lots of relationships, it might be a you thing. If it's just unique to that professional, it might be a, the two of you thing. Like how would you, how would you pull that bit out? I
1: guess that's where a lot of Trust and rapport is so important. So you know, coaching relationships can be long or they can be short. If you've got what you wanted, then that's okay. If you, it, yeah, like you said, if it, if it's repeated, if you're sort of trying a few different coaches or different professionals and you're feeling that same sense, it might be something that you need to um, open up with one of those professionals and say, "I'm feeling this in a number of situations. What do you think?" And any good ADHD coach, as soon as you say that, they will be onto it and that'll help you figure out, mm. yeah, because it's such an important piece of the puzzle in ADHD, that rejection sensitivity. yeah.
0: Yeah, I think we do that a lot as well in therapies, just sort of Absolutely. if someone brings that in, then it's, boom, that, that relationship can mirror and, and and support other ones as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're 100% right. I think if you're feeling it, you need to verbalise it. That's probably the key.
0: So what can be like one takeaway for someone, like like say they're listening to this, they're still in the the early stages of piecing together what this new information means for them. If you had like just one kind of takeaway piece of advice or food for thought, what would that, might that be? Oh,
1: that's a hard question. (laughs) For someone who's in the early stages of exploring, I think my main piece of advice would be to explore further than just the TikTok video that you saw that you resonated with or explore further, you can go online and you can find an ASRS, Adult Self-Rating Scale. I think it stands for. I find those questions pretty blanket and hard to interpret. So if you've done one of those scales and it's like, I'm not sure, then I would trust your gut and continue to find more input and, and figure it out. I think that's, that's the main thing that I would say. So yeah, continue to dig and talk and yeah, seek a professional. I think that's probably the best way to go.
0: Great. Awesome. And how can people, if they like what they hear and they want to get in touch, how can they find you, reach you? What do you do? Or what yeah.
1: Yeah. My program's called the ADHD Sweet Spot. So it's all about creating space for adults to find their own sweet spot in their ADHD journey and find, like we were saying before, those places where you thrive and that you, your strategies work for you. So if you just Google that ADHD sweet spot, you'll find me. It's Jody Green. If you if you Google Jody Green ADHD coach, anything like that, you'll you'll find me. So jump onto the sweet spot. Remember, i put links to all of those. Yeah. You know. Yep. Awesome. And you know what? There's a whole stack of ADHD coaches out there. So even if you don't want to work with me or my program doesn't suit you, there's a whole stack of coaches
0: offering all sorts of different things. So yeah, really explore. Find out what works with me. Awesome. And maybe we'll put a link to that registering body that you mentioned as well. Yep, for sure. I'll give you that. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jodie. Oh, thanks, Marie. It's been really fun talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. We could have gone on forever, but got to wrap it up. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's so much. Once you start questioning, it's like, oh, there's more underneath. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you for your time. All right. Talk soon. Thank you for listening. To keep the conversation going, head on over to Instagram or LinkedIn and follow me. If you'd like to keep updated with episodes and other interesting things happening in mental health, join my weekly This Complex Life newsletter, where I'll share tools, tips and insight. There's a link in the show notes. Got a question you want answered? Shoot me an email or a DM. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoy the show, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and a review. It helps other people find the podcast.